Morning. Happy Thanksgiving. Please open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. We're going to take another week break from Matthew. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 5 today. So stand with me, please, to read God's Word. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will bear his own load. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that we can come into a place like this with burdens on our hearts, heavy burdens. And have them lifted because you are with us always and because we are with your people and because you love us. We pray, Lord, that you would give us understanding today as we consider your word and as we see how that affects and applies to our lives. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanksgiving is, is usually a time where you can kind of slow down a little bit and relax. For some, that's the case. For others, that is not. Thanksgiving is a, often a time that you can, that you can really slow down and, and kind of recoup and regroup and, and regain some strength that you lost in the, uh, the battle of the summer and early fall. Um, I'm going to do something different today that I usually don't do, and that's uh, not get right into the text. We will get there. But I want to tell you um, a few things about my life recently and in the past. Now, in the recent, recent past, I had the privilege of preaching at the Talbot Seminary Chapel. It's where I went to school. They invited me back to preach at at a chapel service. Now... I have been, uh, by the grace of God, in ministry for the last 26 years. And I graduated from Talbot back in 1989. Um, I am older than I look. I turned 49 in October. Um, So you only have, you know, 11 months to plan the big party. Um, But I graduated in 89 from Talbot with a degree in Bible exposition. I was a children's pastor at the time, but I figured, hey, I want to teach the Word wherever I'm at, and so I wanted to do Bible exposition. So I showed up, and I'm planning to go and preach at Talbot, and you'd think that over the past 26 years of ministry that God would have humbled me to the point where I wouldn't want to impress the people there at Talbot. In fact, some of those professors that I had 
that were brand new then are now veterans there, and they're still there. So I've got to confess to you that what I wanted to do was go there and, and wow them with a stellar exposition of God's word. And, and um, I wanted to go into all sorts of detail to you know, show them what, what a grasp I have of, of, of God's word. And, um, and, I really, and I wanted even some of the professors that probably wondered what I would ever amount to to say, wow, this guy, you know, he's, he's, he's good, you know, this is, uh, you know, we were wrong, you know, or whatever, because I've had a few professors that, that wondered, I'm sure. Um, well, what happened was I realized the night before that I wasn't far enough down the road in my study of the passage, and it was the passage I was going to preach, that I preached at Grace last week, so I was working ahead, and I'm thinking, I, I, I'm not ready to preach this, I can't, I can't do it justice um, and so I, uh, I wondered what I was going to do, uh, but it wasn't ready yet. And, and I take pride in being prepared. Let that sink in for a moment. I take pride, in be- just like I take pride in being humble. <laughs> so what I thought next, and this was on the suggestion of a friend, was, well, I'll just dust off a sermon that I had recently preached. And... Um, I don't like to do that, but I realized um, that might be a good opportunity. That might be a good route to go. So the night before, I, uh, a friend of mine says, "Well, you know, the one you did on October 16th—that was a good one, you know." Um, and so I looked at that one and I kind of redid it. And I'm, so I, I went to bed that night, the night before, and I thought, "Okay, I'm going to preach one of these two messages. I don't know which one I'm going to do. Uh, I'll figure it out in the morning. I'm too tired. I got too much going on in life." So I wake up in the morning, really early, and I realized I wasn't supposed to preach either one of those messages. And I got, I, I got my computer out, and I just started typing. And uh, I, uh, Angela wakes up after a while, and, and, I, and I said, hey, here's what I'm going to do it's this morning. I, I kind of read it to her, and she goes, she had like tears in her eyes, and she's like, yeah, this is what you should, this is what you should preach today. So I went and did that, and um, God blessed, God blessed that time. Um, but what I, what I realized that morning was I had to go there and honestly talk with them about living to the praise of God's glory in storms of our own making. And I, I had to kind of expose myself to them a bit, and I'm going to do that to you with you this morning a bit. I, I've had a couple of weeks since I preached that message to, to think through some of the concepts maybe a little bit more, and so it's not the exact same message, but it's pretty close. Um, and I, and I want to do that, by the way, in, in context of what we already know, that God is sovereign and nothing takes him by surprise, and he allows things into our lives or he ordains things into our lives, and he knows everything beforehand, and, and so he's walking us through these things. So when I say storms of our own making, it's, it's like, a lot like Jonah, which we touched on a few weeks ago. Jonah, who was in a storm of his own making. God brought, appointed a, a storm because of his sin. And so, it's in that context. Uh, let me also say my life is good. My life is good. I really have nothing to complain about. So I want you to know that. What I say this morning is not a, a complaint. It's, I'm not having the martyr syndrome right this moment. I have been recently. Um, but the martyr complex. But um, my life is good. I have nothing to complain about. I really don't. Um, but what I find myself is I'm at, I find myself in a season where I feel totally out of control and uh, totally off balance, totally out of balance. You might be able to relate. 
what I feel like is that I've been knocked off balance by my too busy life. That's how, that's how it feels. And, and the mileage is beginning to show. Um, and I'm beginning to resent some of my good things in life. Um, as you know, I, I'm married. I have a wonderful wife of 20 years and uh, 20 plus years. We have been blessed with five uh, awesome kids. And uh, as you know, I'm a full-time pastor since I'm your pastor. Um, I get to lead a, a, a very talented, gifted staff that is amazing. I get to work with amazing elders and ministry leaders. And basically, the way I see it is between my home and church commitments, I, I, uh, I, I'm very, very blessed to, to um, hang out with the most wonderful people I've ever met. But I get myself way too busy. Uh, presently, I am coaching three sports teams, two soccer, one basketball. I'm not even that good of a coach. <laughs> and uh, I always joke that I do it for the gift certificate at the end of the season, but I really do it to control my kids' practice schedule. Actually, I like to do it. Um, I actually like to do it. I teach at Talbot once a week. Um, and then uh, you add on all the things in life, and after 20 years of living in Irvine, we're in the midst of... Um, closing up selling our house in Irvine and moving here to Orange prices have dropped enough where we can make the move and it's all good but it's a lot going on and um, needless to say we're in a pretty stressful time of life and I I tell people a lot I say you know life doesn't get less stressful or less complicated so get used to it you know Um, but the other thing is is I, I have the privilege of helping people for a living I mean I I preach God's word and I work with people. And so you know, I talk to a lot of people and at any moment in time, I'll be working with several families going and individuals going through pretty deep waters and helping young couples get ready for marriage and just all the things a pastor does. But what I've been finding is I can give them answers, but I can't apply them in my own life. Um, I can give people all sorts of ways that they can, you know, win the heart of their spouse back when they've pushed them away or when they've hurt their kids or I can help them with these things and I, then I turn around and I make pretty much some of the same mistakes. Um, and I think you know how that goes. So what's been happening um, for the past few weeks, really for probably the past few months, if you talk to my family about it, I've been taking all my frustrations out of my wife and kids and some of you, uh, whoever's closest to me. The ones that you are the closest to are the people that you unload on the most. So um, here's what I've been doing to Angela. I've been reciting to her how she should help me in this very stressful time in my life. And then I recount over and over again how, you know, I'm a full-time pastor. I'm coaching three teams. I'm coaching this. I'm doing that. And uh, someone needs to give me a, a help me here. Um, and that, that, now that's to my wife who... who uh, Schools three of our youngest uh, makes multiple trips everywhere across the Southern California on a daily basis, and uh, her car has like three times more mileage than mine does for many reasons <laughs> because she drives so much with kids and all this and i 'm saying i 'm the martyr here i 'm the one that needs all the all the attention um, now the thing is um, i I know what 's going on. Um, Interestingly, I, 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 uh, I usually repent quickly and often, though, find myself back in the same place. I think you can probably relate. Um, 
and I'm struggling to keep things together. I, I feel like on the outside it might look like it's okay, but you've, you just, the mileage is, is, is you feel it. And, um, the pro, and, and sinful pride, by the way, is at the root of pretty much most of my issues. Okay? Now, if you're anything like me, you can all diagnose me, and you might have already have. Um, and probably right now you're, you're thinking about what I should do. Um, uh, or you're judging me, or, or you're empathizing with me. It's, it's, it's the run of the, run of the whole mix. Um, it, that's the way we are, and that's the way life is. Um, a few years back, I wrote an article entitled, Out of Balance Families. Uh, and I used to jokingly say, my family is Exhibit A. It's not a joke. It's, it's, we've got a lot going on. Um, it, you know, it was all about overcoming what I w- uh, called frantic family syndrome. And I talked about how all we, we get so busy just to cover up things and we don't have to think and all that. And, uh, and uh, how families need to break out of the crazy cycle of keeping up with the Joneses or whatever your favorite last name is. Um, now, you add to that a couple other things that I'll just set for context. By God's grace, I, I spent a lot of time with my family. They probably might say too much. Who knows? You know, like, you know, give, me a, give us a break. But I spent a lot of time with my family. Uh, we, we, we get into God's word and prayer uh, pretty much every day. We, we, we don't let that, that slide. Um, I confess my sins. Uh, sometimes probably too often, <laughs> if, you, if that could be possible. Okay, um, I talk with Angela. I apologize to Angela. Uh, I seek to walk in repentance in my life, but the pace is catching up, and I'm feeling the wear probably more than I ever have in my whole life. And so I know something needs to change. And what I want to kind of share with you today, once I get through a few of these other things, is how that can come about, and, and basically the things I've been doing in my life that I think are helping me. Um, now, and, I, and I, I'll say, you know, I'm looking around the room thinking, I, don't, I haven't lashed out in, at any of you in, in frustration, but I've wanted to, <laughs> okay? Um, but here's what I know. Uh, right now, in, the, in this stage of my life, in the midst of a very busy life with too much stuff, my soul is in jeopardy because um, of the overload, of, of, of the too much on the plate, um, there's other things I've prided myself in. I've prided myself in being able to multitask. If you've ever been in the meeting with me, you know I'm texting and emailing in the middle of the meeting, which frustrates people to no end, and I'm trying to stop that. Um, but uh, my mom and dad used to tell me all the time when I was a kid, slow down. I was going a mile, 100 miles an hour all the time, whether it was running through the house or, you know, as I got older, it was just doing too many things. And so funny thing is I thought, oh, yeah, I'm... I'm, I'm I'm slowing things down. No, not really. Um, and it's too easy to run on autopilot when you do that. And it's too, too you, you can get too busy to see the signs of the time, see what's going on inwardly and, and outwardly. Um, and you can get too, bur- too burdened to really help anybody. And, um, you know, God is sovereign and I am trusting him in the midst of storms of too many things in my life right now, many of my own choosing. A couple more things I wanted to say. Um, I wasn't a particularly good student ever. Why do I mention that to you? Because uh, going back to that Talbot Chapel that I was uh, preaching at, I you know you get flashbacks of 1985 and 
Greek professors tell, uh, you get to second semester Greek and the Greek professor says, I'm surprised to see you here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wasn't a particularly good Talbot student. I, I was too busy with ministry to care about my studies. That was a good and a bad decision. Uh, good because God blessed the ministry that I was a part of at the time. And I was an intern working with children, making $300 a week, probably working 50 hours a week. God did some amazing things through that and set the course for the last 25 years or so of ministry in some good ways. But it was bad because I didn't dive deep enough into my studies to grasp um, all the things God was wanting to teach me through my time at Talbot. Now here's the thing I I will say. It doesn't matter. If you don't know me very well, you could say, well, the guy's got a doctorate or whatever. Please don't ever think that that means I know anything. Um, I was never a good student. I I didn't become a good student until I did the doctorate, seriously. I did not apply myself in school until then. Um, But all I can tell you is, you know, know, if you know me well, you know. I am not the sharpest knife in the block, but I I can work hard to compensate, okay? Um, Let me just say this. When I got to to, to seminary, I was a fresh out of college, three-year-old Christian. Boggles my mind thinking about it. Became a believer in 1982. By fall of 85, I was in seminary. Um, and, and had been in ministry for uh, several months at that point. Um, what happened, though, was it, that seminary for me was a blur. And uh, this was 85 to 89, if you want to, years. And um, I was too busy at that time, too. Too burdened, too hard on myself and trying to build a quote-unquote ministry, and I was blind to my own self-righteousness in some pretty big ways. And I thought I could see it clearly in others. Isn't that the way it always is? We can see it clearly in someone else. We can't see it in ourselves. And so you see a pattern, and I've noticed them all. Now, self-awareness can be a good thing. It could also be a terrifying thing. Um, I once had two co-workers in Christ at a former church uh, come and confront me about what they considered was my lack of grace and my being too hard on people. On the people I served with and especially people I oversaw. Um, My response inwardly was that they were liberal and judgmental. Um, uh, I later saw some things. I didn't agree with the way they did it. I didn't agree with their method. But they were mostly right in their assessment of me. uh, And I was able to to talk with them about that. Um, At the time, I wasn't abiding in Christ in, in a way that maybe they knew and I wasn't experiencing what I was abiding in was my own ideas of what I thought it meant to abide in Christ um, our perspective is not always pure and clean and, 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 and clear our perspective is always tainted by sin so where do we want to go from here here's, here's what I want to do I, I want to answer the question how do we praise the glory of God's grace and last week we, we were in Ephesians 1 and one of my favorite passages in scripture Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. How do we, and it was about praising the glory of God's grace. But, the, but the, ans, the question I want to answer today is, how do you praise the glory of God's grace in the midst of storms of your own making? And, and that's where I want to go. And, and, I, and, and, and you might find yourself in a similar place in, in some way. You might be able to relate in some way. But the, the simple answer is do what Christians do. You know, it's, it's interesting that when I'm contemplating counseling issues that I'm dealing with people on, 
my, I want to sometimes shake them and say, just do what Christians do. It's not that easy. Um, you might want to shake me right now and say the same thing. It isn't that easy, is it? it it's, it's just, it's not. But really, we need to do what Christians do in the power of the Holy Spirit. And specifically, I want to look at how it's seen in Galatians 6, 1 through 5. So I'll tell you before we dive into this that I really have taken this passage way out of context in the past. I've taken this passage and, and taken verse 2 and verse 5, applied those, uh, forgot about the ones in the middle that seemed confusing, and, um, and then the first one, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch over yourself that you, lest you to be tempted. I've always applied that to the biggies. The guy left his wife and, or he embezzled funds or they did that or did this. And it was the big sin that comes forth and you got it. And it kind of hits you in the face and you have to, you're forced to deal with it. I've always applied it to that. But I want to really look at this and say, what are these verses really saying? And, and, and then share with you really five things that I'm trying to do in my life right now to get through the storm. Okay? That's where we're going to go. So uh, Galatians 6, 1 through 5. Um, the main idea, if I could boil it down, would be this. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ enough to help them. Okay? That's it. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ enough to help them when they're caught in any sin. Capitalize any. All caps. Any sin. Not just the biggies. It's interesting that um, verse 1 talks about if someone is caught in a transgression. They, they've fallen. They, they're, they're trapped by it now. They've fallen to temptation. They've, they've given it a temptation. They've transgressed. They've gone past where they were supposed to be. And, and it says that you who are spiritual are to restore them. The word spiritual here means of the spirit, walking in the spirit. It goes along with verse 25 of chapter 5. Just go two verses up in, in, right there in your Bible. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So, so sins are named there. And then it says, and, and if anyone is caught in any transgression, and you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself so that, that you too not be tempted. So if you think about it, this passage is all about how to do this in the right way and not to be arrogant about it, not to sin in the process of confronting someone about their sin, which is very easy for us to do. Often we can confront someone about their sin and we've got to go back and, and confess our sins because we did something worse in the process. You who are spiritual, you who are, who are of the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, restore. Restore is the same word used for mending nets in Scripture. And it's, it's, it's a process. It's not easy. It is technical. It is complicated. It, it's, uh, it's something you need to be careful about. God restores what sin destroys. And verse 1 is really pointing to the fact that God wants us to care about our brothers and sisters in Christ so much. To love them so deeply that we we risk being misunderstood by confronting them about any sin that they're caught in. Not the biggies that stack up. I really think that if we do this, Christ's church will be healthier, Grace church will be healthier, 
And what will happen is, what will happen is they'll be, we'll be more humble toward one another, more understanding, not hard on each other. But you will, ha- you will be close to people in such a way that you will deal with sin as it comes instead of letting it pile up into big mounds and then have to deal with sin when it destroys you. So, let me just, we're going to go through this verse as, as I give you these five things, okay? Number one, how do we do this? How do we, how do we praise the glory of God's grace in, in the midst of storms of our own making? Number one, repent of your self-righteousness and your self-importance and throw yourself on God's mercy once again. I find that happens very often in my life by God's grace. But go down to verse 3. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Romans 12 tells us not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. If anyone thinks they're something when they're nothing, they're being, they're deceived, they're being deceived by themselves. John 15, 5, one of my favorite verses, Jesus saying, says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Think about Revelation 2. Or go to, with me to Revelation 2, and God is speaking to the church in Ephesus. It says, uh, verse 1, to the, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, verse 5, remember therefore from where you have fallen and repent and do the works you did at first. Do the simple things that, that Christians do when they walk in the Spirit. Confess your sins. Repent of them. Repenting of our self-righteousness really becomes kind of the, one of the probably major disciplines of our lives. Repenting of thinking too highly of ourselves. Now here's the reverse of that though. Repenting of your self-righteousness can all, might also mean repenting of your self-condemnation. Romans 12 where it says don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. It also doesn't say to think more lowly of yourself than you ought to. There's, a, there's a, a subtle self-righteousness in trying to push yourself down and trying to push yourself up. You've got to repent of your own self-righteousness and your own self-importance and throw yourself on God's mercy once again. I find myself doing that a lot. Number two, come to Christ with every need and bring others with you. Come to Christ with every need and bring others with you. Look at verses one and two. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. There is an implied relationship. Anyone, any transgression, not just the biggies, not just the people you dislike, but if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Not just the people that you're not nervous around, not just the people that you're not intimidated to go and and talk with, and there's an implied relationship here. And it says that you've got to keep watch on yourself so that you too won't be tempted. But you've got to, you've got to deal with the situation. Verse 2 says, bear one another's burdens. There it is. And so fulfill the law of Christ. 
So fulfill the law of Christ. You know, we don't often like to admit our need. We want to be sufficient. We want to be able to be the helpers. But we need to also be able to admit our need. Our refusal to admit our need, my refusal to admit my need comes from pride. Nothing more, nothing less. Sinful pride. We want to look strong. We want to look capable even when we know we are weak and incapable. In the body of Christ, we belong to each other. We are interdependent. We, are, we need each other. We're called together to walk in unity and in solidarity. So come to Christ with every need and don't be shy about it. Don't be afraid to do so. Come boldly to God's throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. But don't go alone. Come believing and bring others with you. And don't always be the helper, be the helped. Don't always be the helper. Coming to Christ with every need and bringing others with you, you might be bringing the person who's helping you. You might be bringing the person who's carrying you. Verse 2. Verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. Jump to verse 5. This causes some confusion for a lot of people. Verse 5, each one will bear, have to bear his own load. How does that work? You bear your own load, but then you bear burdens? Someone was just telling me this morning about a picture of two guys carrying a canoe, and each one are carrying their own backpack. There's an interesting picture. They're both carrying the canoe, and they both have a backpack on their back. They got their own load, and they got their burden that one couldn't carry alone. Let it be done for you when you welcome it and especially when you don't. When you're welcoming someone to bear your burden, let it be. But when you don't welcome it, even more let it be. The large part of the other's orientation in Christ's church deals with accountable, loving, supportive relationships, friendships, and you need that. You know, if you're a Lone Ranger your soul is in more jeopardy than you know. If you have no one that holds you accountable, if you hold everyone else accountable, but you, you don't hold anyone else, they don't hold you accountable, your soul's in jeopardy. If you're always being carried and you never help anybody, your soul's being in jeopardy. There's got to be this balance. It says that if you do, if you, if you bear one another's burdens, you fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Look at verse 14 of chapter 5 Galatians 5:14 The whole law is fulfilled in one word one phrase you shall love your neighbor as yourself If you bite and devour one another watch out that you are not consumed by one another I know what happens in in churches it happens in great, at Grace. I'm, I've been here five, over five years. I know it happens here. It's happened everywhere I've ever been with Christians. But what happens is, there's things you talk about in private, about people, that you would never dare tell them to their face. And the, the, the idea is this. You either be willing to go talk with them with gentleness, or you've got to keep your mouth shut. I do that. I do it too often. I'll say things in private that I would never say to the person to their face. Many of you are the same way. I know that happens here at Grace. 
sad part of being your pastor is I hear from the people that heard from two other people that you said that about them. Um, I'm not making eye contact with anybody on purpose. I just like to make eye contact. So if I look at you, it's not because I'm giving you a message. Don't be paranoid. Um, it's just, we're in the family room this morning. Fulfill the law of Christ. Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 5, 43 and 44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Come to Christ with every need and bring others with you. We have a special responsibility. Look at verse 10. Jump down to verse 10 of Galatians 6. As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. I love the alls and everyone's and any, it's, it's, everything's included. Do good to everyone. That means everyone, especially Christians. But here's what you're helping them with. And here's where we take these verses the wrong way. Bear one another's burdens. We take that to mean, hey, they're really overloaded right now with a lot of things in life. Let me go help them. Ooh, there's a lot of trouble going on. Let me go help them. That's not what this means. It's part of it. It's part of helping in trouble. That's not... Go back to verse 1 with me. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Okay, verse 2, bear one another's burdens. What you're called to bear, what I'm called to bear, what we are called to bear for one another is the burden of our sin. The burden of our sin. Which happens to be, at some point, the trouble that we that we encounter in life from the backwash of other people's sin, but first and foremost, it's our sin. Now, let's explain, let me explain verse 2 and verse 5 and how those go together. Kind of get the picture of the canoe and the backpack, but uh, each one will bear his own load. Verse 5, the word for load there is cargo. It's your average load someone can bear. The word for burden in verse 2 is overload. Too much cargo. What they can't bear. It's what breaks your back. So we don't, we don't let people be responsible, but we don't let them get beaten down and broken because we wouldn't help them. The idea is bear, each one shall bear their own load of their own sin, confessing their sins, repenting of their sins, but when you're overloaded, maybe when you're blind to it, you know, we all know people that everyone's afraid to talk to so-and-so because they're going to get mad at us if we point out the thing that we all know about them that's been infecting our group for years. There's things in your family where people just won't talk to so-and-so because they're going to brush you off or they're going to get mad at you. But these things are the things that need to be dealt with or else they get into really, really bigger things. I'm really thankful for my wife, Angela. She speaks the truth to me, and it hurts often. But she does it out of love. I'm thankful for my own kids. My own kids speak the truth to me. From Sophie up to Allie. My fellow elders speak the truth to me. Two-sided coin. Here's the thing. Two-sided coin here. Both sides apply to us. 
It's really easy for you to think of yourself as the confronter or the helper or as the helped and the receiver. We are called to all be givers and receivers in this picture. Uh, It's all about timing. It's all about situation. But sometimes you're on the giving end and sometimes you're on the receiving end and you should not be on the same end of that spectrum all the time. If you are always on the giving end, something is out of balance in your life. If you are always on the receiving end, something's out of balance in your life. It's both. And by the way, I have never seen a man or a woman who are consistently in honest, supportive, accountable relationships take a huge fall. I haven't been a Christian for that long. It's been what? Uh, since 1982. Coming up on, is that 30 years? I'm not a good mathematician. Okay? But I have never seen in my years as a, as a believer um, a man or a woman who is in a supportive honest, accountable relationships with other Christians take a huge fall. Every time you see the huge fall, there's no safety net. I've seen too many of them. You know, when you you have a pool, a lot of times you put a fence around it. You know why? So your dog doesn't drown and your kids don't drown, right? Not in that order. Your cat's on his own. Um, you know, I remember when I was a kid, I was at Disneyland, and I was on, I, I love the Autopia ride, but I hated the governor on those cars. You know, the thing that makes them not go very fast, keeps them from going fast. I hated that. But you know why they were there? Because I would have crashed. I would have hurt somebody. There's a reason. It's protection. Bearing and sharing the burdens our protection that God has built in by His Spirit in the church. It's the way it's supposed to be. It's not reserved for the big issues. It's to be humbly done on an ongoing basis, looking to ourselves, not pridefully, in relationship with others. You do that and God will be glorified in His church. Let me say something before I go on. You may have fallen really bad and no one knows yet. You may have fallen really bad and no one knows yet. And no one knows you well enough to know that yet. All I can tell you is repent. Come to Christ. Confess your sins and tell the people you need to tell. If you've fallen before and you've been forgiven and you've confessed and you've repented but you continually condemn yourself got to let it go you've got to read Romans chapter 8 over and over and over again to yourself and especially verse 1 there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ number 3 how do you praise the glory of God's grace in in, uh, storms of your own making give stuff away and don't take it back Give stuff away and don't take it back. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. God cares for you. Confess, uh, uh, cast your cares upon him, but don't grab them back from him. Let him hold them. Proverbs 16, 3 says, commit your works to the Lord. Your plans will be established. Commit means to roll. Roll it to God. 
out of your hands. But the other, you've got to let go of things you're holding on to. And then on a very practical sense, you've got to appropriately relinquish some of your responsibilities. Give, give others opportunity without shirking your responsibility. You've got to offload. I've, I've been offloading and delegating. I do that constantly through life, but I needed to recently. And I had to admit the truth to people I know and say, look, I need you to take this for me. Even on the coaching side of things, I got, I'm relying on really good assistant coaches I have that really, they're the head coaches. Should have given them a gift certificate, huh? Um, but if someone says to you, I'll help you, don't be too prideful to say no, to say yes. Don't, be, don't, don't just say no when they ask for, to help you. A lot of times we don't want help. Um, so give stuff away and don't take it back. Give it to the Lord and don't grasp, grab it back and start worrying about it. And, uh, which I've been doing way too much recently. Um, and then also offload and delegate what you need so that you can get to a better spot because you have too much on your plate. Now let me just say this too. Some people have way not enough on their plate and they think they're burdened. I just realized that everyone's got a different perspective and someone may have two responsibilities and go, I can't handle it. Others may have 100 and go, hey, I'm fine. So just, just know yourself well enough to know Whatever, if, if, if you know you're just like a baby about it, just don't worry about it. If you know that you ignore that and you get way burdened, deal with it, okay? Uh, number four, number four. Find a place of quietness and rest every day and let God revive your soul. Look at verse four. Let each one test his own work. Then he will have reason to boast in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Let me just clarify what it means to boast in yourself alone and not your neighbor. It doesn't mean that you get to boast in yourself and say, I'm so great, I'm so wonderful, all that kind of stuff. Um, look at uh, verses 7 and 9. Uh, 7, 8, and 9 in the same passage. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary in doing good. In so um, doing, we will uh, reap if we do not grow weary. Uh, you need to be able to, to, um, to rest and find that place. And then the boasting comes in in this way. Look at verse 14. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So you've got to put those together. Find a place of quietness and rest every day and let God revive your soul. Test your own work. You will boast, though, in the cross of Christ when you do that. Um, I'm a people person. I have to have people time. But in order to be any good with people, I've got to have alone time, a lot of it. Um, if I don't, I'm no good to anybody else. So just know yourself well enough to know what you need and don't let that slide. Um, Psalm 4610 has always been a huge comfort to me. Uh, be still and know that I'm God. Uh, be still literally means to relax or let go or to cease striving, striving, trying to work it all out. Um, and, and then know that he is God. Experience that he is God. Admit, acknowledge that he is God. Um, he has promised a lot of things to us uh, that he will never leave us or forsake us, that he's always with us. Um, but I know I've, I've had the short fuse lately. I, I've been the short fuse one lately. And 
what it causes is blow-ups and churning and even striving on the inside, whether you put the veneer on the outside or not. Um, 2 Corinthians, one other verse I want you to go to, 2 Corinthians 13, verses 5 and 6, says, um, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Christ Jesus is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. And I hope that you will find that we have not failed the test. A lot of times we think of this as, um, I took a test once, I passed it, now I'm going to go on and never think about that test again. This is not that test. This is an ongoing test. This is the preaching the gospel to yourself over and over again test. Keep examining yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Because here's what you know. If you're a believer, Jesus is in you. You've got to remember that. You've got to remember the promises you have in Christ. And what will happen when you do that is you'll have no false confidence from comparing yourself to others because you'll be comparing yourself to Christ when you examine yourself. Too easy to examine ourselves and look across the room and go, well, better than all them. Not as bad as them. Ooh, not as good as them, but better than them. We're not supposed to compare ourselves to each other, but to Christ. Things fall apart, and um, things deteriorate without ongoing regular maintenance. Your house, I know this, especially the house we're buying, needs some work. They didn't, they didn't do their, they did a lot of deferred maintenance versus ongoing maintenance. Deferred is where you, you put it off for someone else to do. Your car does that. Uh, think of a bike hanging in the garage versus a bike in the backyard. Leave it out for six months. Big difference between those two bikes. Um, I heard a story once of these natives that were uh, guides to this one explorer, and he was pushing them really, really hard. Went for like eight hours straight. Finally, the natives stopped, and they wouldn't budge. And he got angry at them, and he's like, Tell, why, are they, why won't they go? And, and uh, they tra- got the translator, and they, here's, what they, here's what they were told. They, they're letting their souls catch up with their bodies. That was very superstitious, obviously, but if you think about it, we need to stop and find a place of quietness and rest and let God revive our souls, and in a way, let your soul catch up with your fast-paced life. Um, Number five, last thing. Cling to the grace of God in Christ. Those that are like all like into, I gotta write everything down, don't write the rest of that down. Please just listen. Don't write, just listen. Taking notes is overrated, okay? Uh, Look, cling to the grace of God in Christ, but know full well that the only reason you are not consumed or ruined is because of what God has done for you in Christ and what he keeps doing for you in Christ every moment of every single day. You might not know where the the sustenance is going to come from, you can't see it right now for what you need in your life right now or what's going on in your life right now. You don't know maybe where you're going to find the answers to the questions you're asking. You don't know if, when or if your heart's desire is going to be fulfilled ever in life. You don't know how God is going to use you in another person's life. You don't know who God's going to bring about, maybe some random person to, to ease your burden. You don't know. But here's what you can know. God is sovereign and his timing is perfect. And if you're the person 
who right now is aching for that friend who can help you when you're caught in that transgression and bear your burden. Even that one, even that one friend. Just one. You ask God. You ask God for that one friend. He's going to send them to you. But when they show up, don't turn them away. Let's pray. Lord God, we don't want to be idolatrous in our lives, Lord. We want to give you glory. Lord, we all feel the pull against our souls of a too busy life. We feel the world and the flesh and the devil vying for influence and a foothold. Lord, we pray once again, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We know, Lord, our tendency to blame you and to condemn ourselves. Lord, help us to see you lofty and exalted and see in you our true rest. And we pray this in Christ alone. Amen.